It's your boy, Molony, and you're listening to the Tired Activist Podcast, and my name is Molony, like I said before, and I prefer pronouns are she and her. Hi, I'm Kayla. Um, my pronouns are she and her. Hello, I'm Alyssa. My pronouns are she and her. Hi, friends. My name is Vivian, and I use she, they pronouns. Guys, we're back. We're back. I feel like this was- I bet you missed us. In- I did. <laughs> I missed the weekly editing for six hours, um, editing um, two hours of videos down I'm to thirty so minutes sorry. because I'm I'm, so I'm sorry, bad at editing because like, we derailed like every fifteen minutes. <laughs> yeah, uh, if and, you're such a feminist podcast, why don't you pay your editors? Checkmate, liberals. <laughs> Actually, that was uh, why was that phenomenal? <laughs> that was incredible. Wow. I mean, you I, have a talent. You have a yeah. gift. Please use you that don't... voice from now on. We're going to talk about girl bosses and what girl boss feminism is. And you might have like noticed the recent articles, like there have been a numerous amount of articles that have talked about the end of girl boss like feminism. Um, and we're going to talk about it. We're going to talk about our opinions on it. Um, so yeah, Kayla, tell us a little bit about where it originated from. Okay, so um, the term girl boss feminism was first created in 2014 from Sophia Amoruso's memoir called Hashtag Girl Boss. And the book is basically a ratchet to riches story of how Amoruso became incredibly successful for a company Nasty Gal. Throughout the book, Amoruso says that like being a girl boss is a mix of humility, hard work, and gumption. One quote I found is... The hashtag girl boss that is willing to do a job that's below her and above is one that stands out. It's that attitude and behavior that will get you ahead uh, because that always pays off in the end. And um, it, the book also argues that the professional success of young women was a two birds, one type, one stone type of activism because their pursuit of power and success could be branded as a quest for equality and the success of female executives and entrepreneurs would lift up the women below them. And so this girl boss ideal quickly became a culture and template for telemarketing and writing about powerful female representation. So some examples of girl boss culture and media is like when you pink wash products to promote um, products in order to appeal to women. I mean, or just not even appealing, just for like targeting a female audience. And of course, um, there are some mugs or shirts that you can find that say like Yas Queen or like, or boss like Muppet, or even shirts that boss just say girl boss. And there's also, like, a boss bitch portrayal of, like, female bosses in media. Um, one example is Miranda Priestley from The Devil Wears Prada. She's a very stoic, type A woman who isn't good with emotions or relationships. And so she ends up ruining a lot of her emotional connections by focusing on her careers. And because, um, but it also implies that a woman can't be successful as a leader and a wife or mother at the same time. So, and I think, like, another, what, like, really, like, brought, like, girl boss feminism into, like, the mainstream was uh, Lean In by Sheryl Sandberg, uh, which I think came out in, like, 2013, so not too long after um, uh, Amoruso's memoir. Uh, but I feel like that's what really, like, brought, like, the push of, like, corporate, like, girl boss initiatives. Like, workplaces specifically, like, choosing a day to, like, promote gender equality in the workplace whatever that means. Um, and like also like, I mean, Sheryl Sandberg is the CEO of Facebook for people who don't know. So when she like launched her book in 2013, she also had like a whole like manicured like social media like campaign uh, on Facebook. You could like sign up um, to like be part of her like girl boss, like Facebook network, uh, like ready to go. So um, like this whole like, identity like people like building like their entire like personality around being successful at work I guess and also being a woman I think that also uh owes a lot to lean in and um speaking of Facebook uh last year their wage gap um their gender pay gap increased to 12 percent to a 12 percent Yeah. So, um, just writing a book about feminism and about being a successful woman does not make you a feminist. Let's make this very clear. You might be, like, wondering why we're hitting girl boss feminism. Just the word girl boss is, like, already kind of undermining the point because it's implying that a woman Women being can't be bosses. exception and not, like, not, like, the status quo. Yeah, exactly, exactly. 
Um, and it also perpetuates this really toxic idea that women are this pure, otherworldly being who can't commit crimes, which I kind of feels like, this is like a personal thing, but I feel like it kind of like feels into this idea that women need to be protect protected or something. Like, uh, I want my female boss, <laughs> I don't want them to, but I want my female boss to, like, be held accountable to the same level a male, her male counterpart would be. Women just like men or non-binary friends are just as impacted by power, greed, and money. Female bosses are not automatically mag automatic magnets of equality. They can be harassers, they can be bystanders, they can be tyrants. For example, recently we saw uh, Mickey Agrawal, the CEO of Thinks, being accused for sexually harassing employees. Uh, founders of the brand Away, which is a luggage company, created 16-hour-long workdays and constantly emotionally abused workers. Anna Wintour, the infamous editor-in-chief for Vogue, is widely known for maltreating her employees. And very recently, we saw Ellen DeGeneres being, like, canceled on Twitter um, because not only did she create a very toxic work culture, but she ignored numerous sexual assault allegations about her producers and her employees. And because these ideas that women, mostly white women, but we'll get into that later, uh, create a perfect workspace. A lot of cruelties happen under female bosses and they can be ignored and employees can be silenced because while well, female bosses end up not being like held accountable because it's like, oh, they're a woman. What, what bad thing could they have done? And obviously none of this is to say that women shouldn't be executives or that women bring nothing to the, to the table. It's just not the solution to giving power to women in the workforce. If you want to hear about what women do bring to the table and how to create a safe workspace for women. Check out our Women in STEM episode, by the way. We talk about that. And so, girl boss, another issue with girl boss feminism is that it was created to be marketable. It was not created to cause fundamental change. Girl boss feminism was, like Kayla said, originally created um, as a memoir and as a hashtag by a fast fashion brand called Nasty Gal as a method to show corporate feminism in their brand. Basically, it created a method to convert an executive's personal goal into a quest for equality. I found it really funny that Nasty Gal in particular was the one that created girl boss feminism, considering their numerous sweatshops and number of reports about exploitation of their workers. Anyway, this brand created hashtag girl boss, making feminism and seem marketable, uh, an easily tangible goal, sort of similar to buying a dress from Reformation and expecting climate change to magically go away. The Atlantic had a very good explanation for this idea in their recent article, The Girl Boss Has Left the Building, so I thought I should read it. Um, and as always, like, the links will be listed below. Uh, so this is what it says. For the girl boss theory of the universe to cohere, women have to be inherently good and moral creatures, or at least inherently better than men. For some young, young woman to find inspiration in the concept of that assertion might simply feel like a vote of confidence, but the presumption of that difference between women and men is also what makes girl bosses marketable to those who might patronize their businesses. If these women could succeed while upholding feminist values and treating their employees humanely, then maybe the patriarchy was just a choice that savvy consumers could shop their way around. Maybe people could vote for equality by ba buying a particular set of luggage or joining a particular co-working space. And girl boss feminism also produces this idea that feminism it was profitable. So over the last few years, we have seen many companies with misogynistic histories incorporate feminism into their brands to make their uh, products more marketable to women. So instead of actively trying to imp improve the sexist culture in their workspaces, they slap a feminist or girl boss label on it, and suddenly they are a woke brand that supports women. Much like how many companies slap a rainbow on their products during June. I feel like um, one thing that's really interesting regarding like girl boss feminism and like uh, like pink washing products is actually like the fast food industry. If you guys um, know Michael Pollan. Uh, He's a professor at Berkeley and he's written a couple books on like American like food culture and like the um, like farming industrial complex here in the United States. Uh, and he actually has a really interesting article. I'll like try and find it later um, on how like the rise of fast food um, was in part due to their marketing towards women. Right. They're saying if you, if you don't have time to cook because you're entering the workforce and you don't have the same amount of time to care for your children as like a housewife in like the 50s or whatever it might have, you can buy fast food and that'll like feed your children while still giving you time to like go be whatever the 70s version of like a girl boss is, you know, go out and like smash that glass ceiling, you know? Um, but, you know, fast food industries, they don't, they don't actually care about women, right? Like 
the the food that like McDonald's was selling in the 70s, not not great for women, not great for kids. Um, at least not like eat if you eat it regularly. Um, so we've seen like these companies grow like larger and larger and larger to the point where they have like significant like lobbying ability now to like you know go to the USDA and like ask that you know they uh, sort of soften their rhetoric around like oh this this food is bad for you uh, because you know in part they marketed towards working women. Wait, that's actually so crazy. I did not know that. But yeah, exactly. That's like the point. Like, I, I really hate it when companies, like, just slap, like, a rainbow on their logo or, like, pink, like, make their pro- products pink to, like, show, uh, like, that they support women or they support the LGBT community. Like, you're not causing any fundamental change in your company. Or even, like, at the very least, donating a little bit of money from your billion-dollar uh, corporation into, like, those charities. Like, it- it's very frustrating to me. Um and I know, like, a lot of people have had discussions about it, uh, especially relating to, like, during during Pride, like, companies being like, yes, we support the gays, but also we're homophobic. <laughs> so, yeah. Um, anyway, to continue. Um, thirdly, another reason that I hate girl boss feminism is that it, compla- it claims that professional progress is easy for all women. A lot of women who created the girl boss movement were cis straight white women with a lot of affluence and economic stability, and it very much promoted that I- the idea that corporate success was very easily available to everyone. The movement did not account for the struggles um, that women of color and women in the LGBT community, particularly trans women, faced. In fact, um, Leia Stein, um, a highly acclaimed feminist writer, recently wrote an article about the end of girl boss feminism. And in the article, she has the following quote. Um, by the way, you should check out her new book, Self Care. It was a very good and very funny read. It's like satire about girl boss feminism. Really enjoyed it. Uh, anyway, this is how the quote goes. The white girl boss, and so many of them were white, sat at the unique intersection of oppression and privilege. She saw gender inequity everywhere she looked. This gave her something to wage war against. Racial inequity was never really on her radar. That was someone else's problem to solve. So just having these privileged white women claiming that, you know, like, that it's really easy to go up the ladder and, like, you know, I did it so you can do that too. Like, that's not helpful in any way. It's not like helping other women go up the ladder. At least I don't believe it is. I acknowledge Mm -hmm. as like someone who is an Asian, especially like an Asian uh, or like an Indian American going to STEM, that that it is easier for me than many white women and especially like black and Hispanic women. It is way easier for me, but I have to acknowledge that and I do have to compensate for that. Like, in hiring practices or like encouraging women to come into the workforce like and like encouraging female representation in like um like in decision making groups like that is something you do have to account for i mean i'm talking about this like i'm an executive i'm not (laughs) i am a 17 year old (laughs) um yeah but i don't have any real power so (laughs) you're talking in terms of somebody who will eventually probably be going into i don't know about that I, you know I, what? I, you I are smart. Happening. You're strong. Molly, be you your own girl boss. <laughs> no, thanks. <laughs> I think when it comes to the girl boss feminism that we're talking about, I totally agree because it's women getting into positions of power and then not usually advocating for the women below them. It's once you get right. like they're getting power and then they're seeing they're seeing that they were able to break the system. And so oftentimes they're like, okay, so anybody else should be able to not take into, into account the, ex, the extra circumstances somebody in a minority community might face trying to get into those positions. And then mm-hmm. oftentimes when you bring those up to them, they're like, oh, well, I made it because I'm a woman. That means any woman could make it. Or that means, oh, uh, I've, I've fixed the problem. There's no other problems here. It's just, um, it's just, uh, it's just being a woman that's the issue. That's why we're here. Yeah. Like, and going up the ladder is the only issue. Yeah. That is not, like, just going up the ladder is hard. It's That's not, why. And now that I've gone up the ladder, it's all easy for, like, all the women who come after me. That is oh, not yeah. true. In fact, it's also sometimes 
harder because there is a lot of tokenized diversity in these kinds of companies and like yeah. they have yeah. they yeah. can have like a female ceo and then say okay now we don't need to give any more females roles of power and they won't like say that straight to your face or straighten anything but you can see that oftentimes in their company statistics and stuff you can like see that. that a lot in like media when it comes to like tv shows or mm -hmm. like and they Especially won't oftentimes like when... advocate for their women, like co-workers and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. They feel, if I had to get here by my own merit, that means they it's... have to as well. And that's it... such a, that's not, it's, individ it's individualism rather than community. And that's the entire thing feminism supports is community, is getting there together. Not just putting one person ahead of us and saying, all right, guys, we fixed uh, sexism and racism. We're all good now. That's just You know what it, it reminds me of? It reminds me of that, like, American dream idea where oh, it's, yeah. like, no matter your color, no matter who you are, no matter the struggles you face, if you work hard enough, you can climb up the ladder, which is a very, like, optimistic, uh, uh, like, American propaganda idea. Um, and or very like, idealistic. Mm -hmm. You know, we could abolish the ladder. The ladder doesn't have to exist. There doesn't have to be a ladder. You know, I feel like... If you if you like look at look at it from a material perspective, like this climbing the ladder rhetoric, like advancing in your field rhetoric, like it's it's not sustainable because the way the way capitalism works is that necessarily there's a small number of people at the top because that's um, the the only way that like capitalism can support itself through you know the system of like labor exploitation and everyone else who's like actually powering the system is is necessarily at the bottom like there's a limited number of spots at the top so even if it were true that like theoretically anyone could you know take one of those spots not everyone can like it's purposely not designed that way um and so necessarily if if you think that like you can achieve feminism by like placing women in like c-suite positions you're accepting the fact that there will be women who aren't in c-suite positions because that's that's just how the world is and like this this also is like very like not inclusive of like third world women uh which i'll get into later um and you know i i just feel like as 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 like Alyssa said earlier it really is like the like this is this is your brain on liberalism right like this is what happens when people like prioritize like individual su success and like make it stand in for like liberation and e like at true equality and um recently recently as like an example uh of sort of like prioritizing individualism i just finished this book called um racecraft uh the soul of inequality in american life i think um it's written by two uh academics or sisters uh barbara and karen fields um it's a really good book it's basically about uh like how racism creates race and not the other way around um you know like racial categories don't actually exist we made them up to justify economic exploitation. It's the goddamn uh, color of your skin. <laughs> I mean, it's it's really it's really not even because when you think about it, like there are plenty of like instances of like societies in the past where like there were people who you know maybe looked different, but there wasn't like necessarily like economic exploitation. Like I I don't think that racism needs like physical differences, like actual physical differences to like exist. Um, like, I think we point to we point to like the physical differences as like a justification as like, oh, racism, like a lot of people like a lot of liberals, especially will say, oh, racism arises because people are afraid of differences. You know, I, and I don't think that's true. I think I think racism exists because like, we have an economic structure that relies on it. And in turn, you know, base superstructure, Marxist analysis, whatever, right? Um, because the economic structure relies on racism, the superstructure, the media infrastructure is going to reinforce it, even if they can't do it blatantly like they used to. But I think one of the ways that media reinforces this, and they mentioned this in the in the last chapter of the book, um, is the the media will elevate certain celebrities, certain like leadership figures um, who happen to be women or people of color or, or queer, um, and say racism is, is solved like you know sexism is solved uh homophobia canceled god uh and this 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 um is not a new phenomenon by any means i think uh a lot of people saw this after like the election of barack obama like oh we have a black president 
racism solved. America's not racist anymore. Um, but like this, this rhetoric has been around for a while. Um, there was, I think his name was um, Ralph, Ralph Bunch. Yeah, Ralph Bunch, um, who was an ambassador to the United Nations from the US, I think in, in like the 60s. Um, and he, you know, was an African American. And a lot of people were pointing to him and were saying, look, an African American can become the US ambassador to, United, to the United Nations. Racism doesn't exist anymore. Like black people can do anything now. Um, and one of, you know, my personal favorite, like leaders in like the black liberation movement, Kwame Ture, also known as Stokely Carmichael, um, he said, I can't have Ralph Bunch for lunch. Like, what is Ralph Bunch being the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations actually doing to change the material conditions for the majority of Black people in this country who are, you know, struggling to put food on the table, who are struggling to, you know, find childcare for their children? Like, what does he do for them? And, and the answer is, like, really nothing. And in the same way, Obama, um, like, I don't want to, you know, I don't, I don't want to, like, be seen as, like, this like pessimist who's like, black people shouldn't be in positions of power because it does nothing. But I mean, black people can be in positions of power. Women can be in positions of power. Like that's all well and good. Um, but just like, to clarify, like we're not saying that women or like people of color shouldn't be in positions of power. We're saying that say like putting a hashtag girl boss label on stuff does not help women in like it would climb up the ladder in any way. <laughs> that is what we're yeah. saying. Like, and I think essentially it, what like Vivian is getting to is a very like can be summarized in a very simple statement that capitalism is inherently sexist and racist like it relies on a landless proletariat or basically in like modern standards someone who's economically dependent on someone else if you if you look at like like uh, Occupy happened under Obama like Ferguson happened under Obama like what has Barack Obama actually done to like change the material conditions of like you know black people in this country what has Nancy Pelosi done to change the material conditions for women in this country? The answer is very little, if anything at all. In, in um, Obama's defense, he did help out the gays a lot. I just want to, like, <laughs> give him a small amount of, like... <laughs> yeah, didn't credit where credit's due? Um, yeah, credit where credit's due. His administration really did push for gay rights, and we love that. Uh, yeah. I mean... We, we, we stand. I, I, I'm hesitant to, to <laughs> talk about, like, I, I feel like human rights is, like, a very, like, um, like incomplete way to discuss like social issues, um, which we can get into in a later episode. But I mean, I think it's still interesting to to, sh to see that like the Obama administration, um, like they push for a very specific vision of like gay rights. And I think this is a different, this is different from like what a lot of like gay activists, you know, from like the 50s on have been arguing for. Because like, when you think about like marriage equality, which is like, I think the what if, if you can point to like one achievement for gay people under like the Obama administration, you would point to that. Um, and maybe like don't ask, don't like the, the repeal of like don't ask, don't tell, I guess. Um, but if you, if you look at like both of those, right, marriage equality is like a very, um, it's still, it's still like a very heteronormative ideal that, you know, you're going to meet like one person, settle down with them and like have a very conventional life. Um, and like, I, I think, I think it's great that like gay people can get married. Like, I, I think, I think if you, if you meet someone and fall in love and you want to get married, then you should be able to, but at the same time, like, it's not, um, it's not, in, it's not, it's not actually, like, changing material conditions and, like, being inclusive of, like, the entire LGBTQ community, because there are a lot of people in the LGBTQ community who, you know, have a lot bigger problems than, oh, I can't marry the person I love, like, they're, you know, being evicted because their landlord, like, found out that they're trans. They're, you know, being harassed in the street um, because, you know, they're a sex worker and, like, there are no protections for them. Um, and Barack Obama has not done anything for these people. If anything, he's, he's um, been, you know, detrimental to the struggles of a lot of these people. Like, when he recently called off or tried to call off the, the strike in the NBA, um, you know, that, that really could have, like, changed things for black people in sports, but also <laughs> like bringing, it was like bringing, you know, awareness to like black people in general showing, you know, we have, we like, we, our collective like labor power is not something that you can exploit anymore. You know, they were like really standing up for themselves and Obama was like, maybe, maybe let's not do that, <laughs> you know? 
Maybe, um, like, let's not flip the status quo and let me, like, profit off of the fact that I am, like, literally uh, one of the very few Black people in power at the moment because racism. You know what made me laugh? So recently for, um, like, the YDSA chapter I'm part of, the, uh, like, I was making a Kahoot Joe Biden about Joe, Joe Biden, like, who said it, Joe Biden versus, like, Donald Trump for, like, fun, you know, because I want to cry. I want to be depressed really badly, apparently. I really hate my life. But anyway, I found this quote of Joe Biden saying that Barack Obama was the first, like, well-polished African-American man on television and i was like what the what? hell like, Wait, what? yeah you I you did the cahoot, say, Kayla. i want to say i'm surprised but i'm not well wait, at this I point know. it's just like also i think there was a lot of issues with being you know he's the he was the first black president so that comes with a lot more pressure than let's say the like the next average white joe who's going to get into office the next wonder of red white to be in power there's a lot more like stress on him to fight issues that have been persistent for so so very long i think like i we give a lot of obama a lot of flack and i think there are some things that he definitely does deserve flack on but like at the same time when i try to imagine being in a position where you're the first person to ever break through that kind of um that kind of into that kind of like in, into presidency and like there's a lot of stress and pressure that goes along with that and I know he had a lot of pushback because of just the color of his skin because of just those things so I don't want to totally 100% discredit Obama and everything he's done but he was like you know we don't mean yeah. to we don't mean to like push down the post like the the amount of difficulties that those people face like face to get into power or like reach their position because I'm very like sure that's true but to sit up there and not help any other person, like, that is the issue, isn't it? Like, um, I mean, not to toot my own horn, because, again, I'm a 17-year-old going into, like, in high school, so my achievements are absolutely nothing, but I recently became, like, the president of my mate, or, like, of my underwater robotics team, and, like, when, when I got, like, pre- when I became president is when I realized, like, how like sexist or supposedly unsexist team was in reality oh, like no. i mean i mean i was in that team since like the like since the creation of it but then like at that point i realized like wait why don't we have more women like why don't we like mm-hmm. it, it in like when you actually c- take a step back and consider like why like the fact that your team isn't perfect and just because you are you have reached like a certain position does not make make your team perfect and, like, you try to enable women to, like, go up the ladder more. And, mm-hmm. like, you enable women to take, like, to, ta- to to make decisions. Because many of the time, women don't have that opportunity. When you do that, you create a safer space for women. Right? Um, Definitely. And, again, we, like, talk a lot about this in uh, our Women in STEM episode. Because it's, like, very intertwined. But, yeah. Like, it's really important to, like, to, to women who are in like positions of power again 17 year old just want to clarify (laughs) very young don't know much very dumb but (laughs) one thing i do know is that like we should we should be empathetic to other people right like we should realize that just because we have a position of power does not mean that it's easy for everyone else Mm -hmm. and like um we should check our privilege essentially like check your privilege um because Again, I, like, for example, I come from a very economic stable fa- economically stable family. I'm Asian, meaning I do get an upper hand in, like, um, in, in the STEM field. And I think it's something that's really important to look at, not just for women, but also for men. Like, check your privilege. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, so, I, I definitely agree. <laughs> a major issue of girl boss feminism is that it fits all of, all women into this, like, one box, right? Like, Girl boss feminism puts down women who prefer, prefer to fulfill a traditional caregiver role, and it creates this idea that an empowered, like an empowered modern woman, should go after economic su- success and financial independency. When that isn't always the case, women aren't always able to do that, and that's that's fine. And it like it says that working women are somehow better than women who work in the household. And like remember, household labor is real labor, um, 
And feminism is literally about saying that all genders should be able to do whatever they want, right? So the moment you say that a certain type of woman is invalid or that a certain type of woman is less than another woman, it isn't feminism anymore. So saying, like, basically pushing down other women, saying that you're an executive in a role and they're a caregiver, that is that is absolutely disgusting. You're not a feminist at that point. That isn't feminism. That is just using, that is just another way of discriminating against women. Also, household labor is really hard. It's, it's, it's really hard and it's just as valid, right? So like 100%. my conclusion on this is that, well, women should be able to do whatever the hell they want. And also my like conclusion about girl boss feminism, my summary of everything we've said is in the end, girl boss feminism is nothing but a method for large corporations to gain more young people cred and for already privileged and influential women to gain more power. It is a finely tuned form of false protest that perfectly fits under capitalism and does not ask for real fundamental change. Your individual success is not liberation. Exactly, yes. exactly. Hey. That's, that's the vibes that I got from that, from that sentence. Pretty much, um, yeah. <laughs> Housework, yeah. like we said, is real work. Is it's Women real labor? Deserve it's difficult. To feel empowered wherever they are. And a it lot of matter. people think that, like, if the man is the one working, then the woman is financially dependent on the man. But the man is also financially or economically dependent on the woman. If the like, woman was not there, the she just she ain't just chilling at home vibing. She's like doing a lot of real labor. So and like. Yes. Being financially in- independent from a man is not, like, actual, Empowering like, liberation. Like, yeah. um, I think um, one thing that, like, Angela Davis talks about in, like, Women, Race, and Class um, in, like, Chapter 13 is that, like, for, for years, a lot of, like, Black women have been financially independent from men um, in that, you know, they don't have, like, a husband who, like, works while they stay at home. A lot of them, um, you know don't have like a like a, a stable like male presence in their lives whether that's due to like gang violence or like, police violence um, or all these like other like structural like inequalities that they face um and so a lot of these women are like working like how like working mothers you know like they're like working single moms and it it sucks like I, and i'm not like disparaging like working single moms like you and i'm not saying like if you want if you want to be a working single mom like that's great but like you should you should have the support that you need in order to be able to do that like that's you know our like duty as a society to like support women who are like raising the next generation of society right and like these women they're they're going to work like they're, they're going to their jobs and they're like also taking care of children and they're a lot of them don't have men in their lives saying you have to do this you have to do that and yet like they're still they're still facing oppression like it's it's still hard for them um like institutional sexism still affects them and institutional racism still affects them um so like it it this 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 like vision of like housewives will be liberated if they enter the workforce and gain their own income is like a very like white uh <laughs> very seventies yeah it's a very it's a very like outdated like very white um like perception that working for a wage as a woman somehow makes you more liberated because it doesn't <laughs> I agree. Being liberated yeah. is being secure in yourself and mm-hmm. being secure in what you want to do. It's not about forming and fitting yourself into somebody else's mold. It's about creating your own. It's about if you want to stay home and work with your kids, that is a very admirable thing. and You should go and do that. And if you want to go to work and that's where you, th- you feel the most empowered and that's your calling, then you should go and do that. It's not, it's not about what anybody else should say about you or what they should expect from you. It's about what do you expect from yourself? How do you think you're going to do the most good in your life? Where do you find yourself being called to? Because if somebody else tells you your personal calling, it, 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 you know, it, it, that, that, that doesn't make sense. That's like the issue we started with in the first place. Yeah. <laughs> like putting women into boxes. That is that is where feminism started from. Also, I just want to say that most old feminists, like most uh, of like the old good suffragettes, I want to say good because we also had a lot of cringe suffragettes. Um, <laughs> they were Marxists. They were, most of them were Marxists. I was literally, uh, literally recently doing... Uh, Actually, I was just repurposing a presentation that Vivian made about 
women in the labor movement uh, for our like feminist club because I wanted to present on it. And I was like, yeah, like these women are so powerful and like most of them are Marxists. And it kind of got me thinking, like I knew that capitalism was already very like was inherently sexist. I was aware of that. But like you never really think about the degree to like which it like to how corrupted the idea of feminism is like under capitalism where it's like it's become instead of becoming something that promotes change it's become a sort of label uh, like something that you buy it's something that it's it's like it's so consumerist now it's like oh i buy this shirt that says girl boss on it and i am girl boss enemy consumerism is the enemy I, I don't mean to say that <laughs> I am like I am perfect because I have definitely fueled into this. I have a literal girl boss hairpin, <laughs> which is disgusting because my hair isn't even long enough for me to like put the pin in. <laughs> like, you know, it's you, it's a product of society. It's the society we yeah. live in, and at some point, somebody told us that being a girl boss is what we needed, and they gave us all the points to where we thought that this is what we needed, and then we realized, wait a minute. No. <laughs> so don't feel bad about subscribing to old beliefs ever. Because yeah. you always you're supposed to change. You're supposed to grow. Damn and it. Don't and don't feel sorry. bad about buying products that say girl boss on it because uh there's no ethical consumption under capitalism anyway. So you're screwed no matter what. Um <laughs> but I will say this for my fellow women. If you ever want to feel really strong and cool, uh wear a blazer. That's yes, my advice. <laughs> Women wear blazers. Yes. First of all, it's hot. Second, anybody it feels who super wants cool. to, everybody, just go and wear God, blazers. Are just yeah. so nice. Y'all look Men, so good in blazers. I want to hype y'all up. You guys look so good in blazers. You look so professional. You look so you look so good. Especially stuff that makes if it has shoulder pads. If it has <gasps> shoulder pads, like <gasps> give us the shoulders, please. Yes, amazing. our audience. Was, if I you were listening to this today, pause <laughs> our podcast. Stop listening. Go put on a pl- blazer and come back and sit down and listen. Me saying consumerism. If you're is driving, the devil, us go buy a blazer. <laughs> go buy a blazer. There isn't <laughs> any ethical consumption anyway, right? Right. Go True. thrift a blazer. I don't I care. Mean, yeah. Be Preferably safe, buy your blazer but, secondhand or something. But yeah. So I thought. You're like, if you want to feel really proud, I was like, oh, is she going to say join a labor union? <laughs> and you're like, oh, no, no, wear a blazer. <laughs> you know what? The little things count sometimes. The little things really do count. Yeah. I mean, if you, you can join a, labor, <laughs> join a labor movement, do that. That's like, that's pretty fun too. But like blazers, they're pretty dope, man. Like, especially if they have shoulder pads. I know shoulder pads are coming back in style. If you're like a little Love 80s girl boss, uh-huh, <laughs> except not <laughs> girl boss in the way that we're talking about. But like, you're like, yeah, I'm a boss and I'm a woman. boss girl? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. You feel like Leslie Nope, but in the 80s, except- Except you're cool and not a capitalist. <laughs> I don't know. Is Leslie uh, Nope a capitalist? I, I mean, mean, probably. She is a, she's a Biden supporter. I know that. Uh, no. It's whatever. <laughs> I mean, every everything is problematic. Everything, including me, I'm problematic. I'm gonna be yeah. canceled. I need to leave. This no, spot. I'm canceling Vivian right now. Honestly, no, she said that blazers don't empower women. Canceled. Everything is a cancelable effect if you think hard enough. Yeah, anything can be. So that's yeah. why that's why life is a scam. Ideologies are a scam. Uh, go live your life. Uh, start your own start your own remember uh, in the woods with your best friends like i think that's the summary of this is go start your own individual nation with you the genius pat robertson that's sarcastic i hate him but feminism encourages women to leave their husbands kill their children practice witchcraft destroy capitalism and become lesbians and that That sounds sounds pretty good Destroying capitalism, I can get behind that. That is, in fact... better than I ever could. That is, in fact, the definition of feminism. And that is why we hate girlboss feminism. Because it does not encourage lesbianism. That is not true. That is not why we hate (laughs) girlboss feminism. Disclaimer, this podcast is not a lesbian separatist podcast. Yeah, we're... (laughs) Yeah. I think... think, uh, when people like hear like 
criticisms of girl boss feminism, a lot of people get very defensive. They're like, this is, this is what I could do. What can I, how, how can I like do anything else? You know, especially if like you are in a position of privilege, like I am a C-suite executive. This is just what I personally am doing to like help the feminist movement. And I think, um, like regarding that, uh, like for example, I found like this NPR article that was published like a little bit after like Lean In and it was sort of responding to a lot of the criticism that Lean In initially had, which was that it wasn't inclusive of women of color. It was, you know, very individualistic. It didn't like actually tackle like systemic change. Um, and basically like the end of the article um, says lean in may not be the most impassioned or entertaining feminist manifesto ever written and sure sandberg is somewhat blinkered by her big bucks and privilege and inhibited by corporate caution yet it's great mm -hmm. to have a woman with such a platform speak up about sexism in a world full of crude sometimes violent misogyny sandberg is following the first axiom of political organizing start where you live and i think I, I i feel like and and Sheryl sandberg herself when she was like facing criticism for this book lean in she was basically saying i think we overemphasize like political and societal like barriers to like women's success and we don't talk enough about like what women can personally do to like better their lives um and i feel like while it might be true that like there's like before like like 2010 there was a lot less like corporate like self-help material for women than for men i think i think our goal should not be we should be like men because i mean men are like men men are oppressors and oppressed too right like men also <laughs> men also exist under capitalism uh like we don't want like we should we should aspire for like everyone to actually you know like be empowered and be liberated um and i think that's one thing that you know our our, our little group has you know really emphasized like that we we are for you know collective liberation collective empowerment um, like our feminism is for everyone, women, men, non-binary people, anyone who um, shares our same goals, right? Uh, and so I think like this very like, um, like ideological, like liberal, like if you um, like do X, Y, Z, if you start viewing like, like one of the things that like Sheryl Sandberg talks about is like, if women just, you know, start being more aggressive and like pushing for what they want in the workplace like eventually you'll get it um but you know that like presupposes that like women are in like a workplace where you know they can like negotiate for these things on an individual basis it presupposes that like women are like in a place comfortably where they you know have like people in their lives who can do the child care that someone that someone else will have to take up as you know their work like takes up more and more of their time um and you'll notice that like a lot of these like girl boss feminists are not like, you know, Sheryl Sandberg says like, I, I'm in favor of like gender equality reform, but she doesn't, she doesn't define it. You know, she doesn't say like what specific policies she would be supportive as like, and she could throw her weight behind like a lot of things as like a CEO of Facebook. Like she probably has like extensive political influence um, and she could like really like change a lot of people's minds about, you know, universal childcare um or you know like expansion of welfare which was like like as i've talked about before on this podcast was like extremely cut down you know through the 90s um especially like she could she could literally like do so much to like help women in in the us and like globally in her position of power and yet she's she's not actually like like advocating for these material changes and to me in that sense you know, she's not starting where she lives, at least not on a material like plane. She's operating on a like very ideological plane. Um, like she is explicitly like tailoring this message message towards people like of her like social class. Um, and as like as for people who say, you know, what's wrong with like promoting like this brand of feminism? Like we can, we can have both. You know, this like girl boss feminism like it helps some people, right? And I think, you know, it might help certain people, but I, I feel like it does more more harm than good because as like people have mentioned before, especially like Malini, um, people will like overlook um, a corporation that relies on like sweatshop labor, which is primarily done by women. Um, if like 
you have a female CEO because all of a sudden we're woke. And I think like substituting like individual like achievement with like collective empower uh, substituting like collective empowerment like for individual achievement. Um, as we said before, it doesn't it doesn't get us anywhere. Um, and I think like this sort of like robot feminism can mask like very insidious like it, it is a way to like wrap like very insidious like capitalistic um, initiatives towards women. Uh, I think one example that I've read a bit about is microfinance. Um, and we we actually did have like a, a club at our school um, a while ago that was like trying to like um, get more students at Valley to like give out like microfinance loans to like women in, in the third world. But basically what like microfinance is, is that they're like very small loans that like any like person can like send to someone in another country because like the, because we live in America, you know, the belly of the imperialist beast, like American currency just goes a lot further in, you know, countries like Cambodia, for example, than it does here. Um, and so you send like $25 say to like this woman who's trying to like start a small business in Cambodia. And theoretically she like takes the $25, sets up the small business. And then once the small business is successful, she pays it back with like some interest. Um, but the problem with like microfinance is that like, it's really just like another like piece in the puzzle of like imperialist capitalist like debt exploitation that's been going on for decades. Um, like the reason why women are increasingly reliant, and it's not just women, like there are men who like take out these loans too, but it's like primarily women who um, are targeted by these loans. And if you like look at like websites of like companies that like have microfinance programs, um, it's primarily pictures of women that they're using, particularly like women who are trying to be upwardly mobile. So like business owners and like students who are um, trying to go to school and like advance in society. Um, so, like the reason why these like mo mostly women are like more and more reliant on microfinance loans is because of, you know, neoliberalism and like the opening up of these third world economies to like the whims of, you know, Western economic institutions. Um, like, uh, whenever, and I've, I've like talked about this before, but um, when like the World Bank or the IMF um, decide to give like loans to a third world country like government in order to, um, in order to like start projects to build up infrastructure, there are always stipulations. There's always what's called a structural adjustment plan um, or an SAP. And these SAPs often mandate austerity, which means, you know, cutting of welfare, cutting of, you know, health insurance programs, um, privatization of like certain industries. Um, for example, like a lot of like, uh, like water networks in these third world countries have been privatized and taken over by companies like Nestle. Um, and so like, it's because of these like reforms, right, that women are increasingly like forced off of their land. Um, and forced into, you know, wage labor, like starting a small business or like going to school. And, and no one, no one is like actually like doing anything about this because it's so much easier to say, oh, we're going to empower women by giving them loans so that they can succeed within this capitalist system instead of, you know, actually um, taking on the system. And this is not like just a problem that like third world women face. I think um, we also see this in like the first world where like, a lot of like girl boss feminism. Um, once again, it's like it's like pushing individual success um, at the expense of like collective like bargaining. Um, a lot of like girl boss feminists think, oh, I can I can do it on my own. I can I can advance in this field on my own. And um, for like a variety of reasons, we have like a lot lower like union participation from like women than men in this country. Um, and I think part of it is like historically unions have been like very male dominated. A lot of them started in male dominated fields. A lot of unions have, you know, reactionary elements or are, you know, chauvinistic, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, I think like collective bargaining is the only way that like workers in, in like any country can like truly achieve like benefits that'll like actually change things. Like if you look at um, the things that allowed women to enter the workforce, um, so, you know, like, welfare, childcare programs, um, like state sponsored like healthcare initiatives. And like we're we're like very deficient in all of these like aspects, but like like all of this stuff that sort of like came out of like New Deal legislation, like that was one 
by like labor unions like organizing that was won by like workers getting together and saying we're not going to work anymore until you give us these things and you know we've talked about this um you know uh, like Molly mentioned the presentation that she's going to be doing very soon which covers you know a history of like women and the american labor movement um but like the the mill girls for example of like lowell massachusetts they led like a strike because their working conditions were so bad and like if they had not done that then all these women would have continued to work in like these very unsafe conditions um so in summary i think like you should not be a girl boss feminist you should join a union instead but wear a blazer <laughs> wear a blazer to your union. just it's 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 fun this blazer agenda is quite interesting. Are you sure you're not a shill for the blazer? <laughs> the big blazer Ma companies. Molly is controlled by big blazer. <laughs> big blazer. So I think in conclusion, we found the girl boss mentality. Um, if you're just saying like, yay, women, like that's not toxic, but this girl boss, girl boss mentality and the consumerism, uh, the, the consumeristic nature of it and how it's been tokenized into use and used against women instead of actually helping them is extremely toxic um you know you give somebody you give somebody power and you you can't expect them to be better than the person who before had the power in my opinion i, I don't think you could expect people like it's the system it's the exploitative system that you know makes the whole thing go around so if you if you put a woman in the system, it's not going to inherently become less exploitative. I think that's the yeah, point. It's you it's just like, you know, it's just putting a different color bow on the same on the same dress. Like just because you've changed one aspect of it or you can say, Oh, this is new and improved, look at how inclusive we are. Look at how many colors of bows we have right here. Like we have women in our workplace. That doesn't necessarily mean that you've done anything to change the dress. Or <laughs> change the workplace and I think that's sometimes a big mentality issue that we seem to have is we think tokenized diversity where you just put one person at the top one big person at the top that means like suddenly we're okay we're good instead of having people like instead of changing your hiring practices instead of actually advocating for a more diverse and uh, kind of community driven workplace you're instead going for how can we put a band-aid over this problem and I think that is the <laughs> one of the biggest issues with it um, and it, it tends to isolate women more than anything so I think the biggest thing like we Vivian was talking about um, unions and stuff like that but there's also small scale things you can do in your own workplace such as like starting not being exclusionary in your groups too, like that's also a big problem, but starting, um, but starting like your own workplace environment groups and changing hiring practices, changing just the basically the way you see the structure of your company. I think one big thing is also hiring new fresh minds who may be just a tad bit more like you, what you wouldn't consider, can I say radical? <laughs> some, some young fresh uh, um, outside. <laughs> <laughs> some young fresh minds who think outside of the box are very important and you need to listen to what they have to say at the same time like you can't just like that's I think the biggest thing is there's in when you put this down on paper it sounds like a good idea but in practice it's oftentimes um you know it's bastardized it's made so it's um extremely uh it's made so it's then put right back into the same place you you go back to square one instead of going to the next to like the future so I think we talked in our Women in STEM podcast about um, how to encourage women, how to make them more feel more comfortable in workplaces and stuff like that, how to change hiring practices, how to start um, like uh, groups and organizations and stuff like that, even outside of the workplace where women are encouraged, women of color are encouraged, people who don't fit um, the stereotypical, uh, like, you know, to gender system and stuff like that they should all have places where they can feel encouraged and are able to work towards a better work environment and i think those organizations are extremely important and when you can support them always do <laughs> i just wanted to say uh like you don't have to join like a conventional union like you yeah don't have to, like, like with chapters and everything like just like the, the like idea of like collective bargaining just like getting people together in your workplace yeah and, like be careful because like community not like this 
like getting people together in your workplace and saying like what like why are we mad like what mm-hmm. like commonalities do we share that like we can change in this workplace for us to like gain power like mm-hmm. i think that's a very powerful thing and you don't necessarily need like a huge organization to be able to mm-hmm. do that it might be helpful if you have like the backing of a national organization because definitely they have done this before and they can tell you like these are the mistakes we made here's how you can avoid them but like the spirit of collective bargaining love it <laughs> yeah you know we also talked about um maintaining femininity in work that like feminine traits aren't something to be looked down upon we talked also about how like you know the the idea that a woman has to to work her way up has to sacrifice family um friends loved ones personal relationships and all those kinds of things that she has to sacrifice things that she enjoys and stuff like that so she can be seen and taken seriously in a male-dominated field that needs to come down to like femininity is not the enemy and i think so often we're made to feel like that and not just like being female but like the idea of femininity and feminine traits um emotions are still seen as something negative and i don't think that like emotions are power wars are started not necessarily because of anything that makes sense it's usually down to some sort of emotion or feeling like the whole facts over feeling argument just doesn't make sense all right that was a side tangent okay um care about your feelings (laughs) but the thing is is that facts facts are based on feelings like i I don't know how to tell people this bias bro bias is real wait can you say facts don't care about your feelings in your voice for us please uh facts don't care about your feelings actually um your feelings are actually not valid we should stop validating people's irrational feelings i feel like liberals really don't understand that at the end of the day it's about the facts it's about the statistics so that's what i give you here on the ben shapiro show every day subscribe oh my gosh i'm sorry this is an absolute mess of an ending also if you're if you're a caregiver it's i feel like caregiving is like a very like isolated workplace because often like you're not in like the same like physical space as like other caregivers like it's just it's just you um but there there are organizations out there that will like advocate for you if you feel like you're not being treated correctly like the fciu um i think is really cool um they also endorse you know, our DSA candidate uh, in Redwood City recently, uh, Lizette Espinosa Garcia. She's so cool. She, I like being in the same chapter as her, inspiring. She's an icon. If you're in Redwood City, please vote for her. Um, but yeah, if you're a caregiver, like check out the SCIU. Like you, you, you don't have to do it alone. It Remember, caregivers, today I ask you. If if your husband is making or if anyone is making fun of you uh for doing real labor in the household, go up to them and be like, stop exploiting my labor and don't eat the food that I make and leave the house. Because guess what? You are making real labor. You know? Like Yes. Make sure you understand that you are amazing. Don't listen to what anyone tells you. You You're an a lot to society, and we love you. Yes. You know, when you raise the next generation of people, that's not something that should be taken lightly, and it's so oftentimes commodified. Is raising children is such an insanely difficult task that I don't think people recognize. What goes into raising a child and making them a contributing member of society is insane. And I could say the same, this is why we underappreciate our teachers as well, is because, you know, it's oftentimes just seen as women's women's work. And for some reason, women's work is disregarded. Unless it's women's work in like a male field, like we've been talking about, like you're a, you're a CFO of a company, COO or CEO or whatever these are, unless it's that women's work is usually seen as something that's not as important. It's just doesn't, it doesn't make sense. It doesn't make sense. Um, once again, plug the STEM podcast. Because like, <laughs> You know, there's a lot of overlap between these two these two topics, I think. And I think, you know, just because something is highly regarded in the male world doesn't mean that something highly regarded in the female world or even lowly regarded doesn't mean that it's worth anything less. Your labor is your is labor. It, it, whether if it's considered a, a labor of love or a labor in the workplace, it doesn't matter. 
it matters. It, it doesn't matter, it matters. There we go. Um, so I think, you know, we need to stand up for each other. Tearing one another down just because we don't fit the mold or we don't fit the idea we have of a certain feministic trait or something like that, that doesn't help us. If somebody's actively trying to tear down other women, then yeah, you know what? You can, you can go for them, like Abby Shabira. I think we can all agree that women are incredible. Women are amazing. And so why do we treat them as that they're less than or that female traits or female things are less than male? Being a good leader doesn't mean you have to act like a stereotypical male. It means you have to act. It doesn't, whatever. Yes. Men. You get it. You get it. Yay. (laughs) You get the point. Cut that out. Cut that out. No, Um, no, I'm not going to. Oh, cut it out. Okay. Women are amazing. Yeah, women are pretty like fire. I love women. Women are great. We love women here. That's that's why we're here. Love yourself. Um, Exactly. Yeah. I love women. I say as I'm dating a not woman. I'm sorry, Vivian. I'm sorry for your loss. (laughs) Some I am in fact a heterophobe. Uh, (laughs) It is a disease. It needs to change. It's not. I'm not heterophobic. It's just you know against my lifestyle. In fact, I have I have a straight neighbor. I I I'm not heterophobic. My parents are straight. What do you mean? My parents are straight. Like, I, I, I just, it's, it's, it's against my religion. It's not a lifestyle that I appreciate. I, it's like, what about the children? Like, what about the children? They have to see that in movies and TV shows. Don't you think it haunts them for the rest of their lives? It literally does. <laughs> yeah, I know it does. Honestly. <laughs> it does. Mm-hmm. Uh, before, like, we ended off completely. I just want to say it was amazing talking to all of you again, our audience, and also the fellow podcasters. Like, I, it's just, I love having this environment and having this platform to have discussions and doing research about topics I wouldn't otherwise think of. It's really amazing, and I really love it. And first, second of all, like, what the hell is happening? Why did we suddenly get so many views? <laughs> like, our view count doubled over the last month, so thank you all so much for that. That is amazing. Thank you for I listening to our podcast. I knew you could get enough of us. I knew it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, if you came, if you only listened to our first, po- like, podcast, I'm so sorry. Like, we have improved so much since there, the audio quality, the organization. Uh, essentially, what I'm saying is go listen to I our other podcast. <laughs> Yeah, uh, three of us have a mic. Vivian, we're waiting on you. Um, yeah. Uh, so, you know. All right. Yeah, some of us uh, are all right. A we'll behind. see. We'll see. It's okay. Please. Right. Really quick. Like, if you if you really can't get enough of us, you've listened to all of our podcasts and you're still like, you know what? I want some more. And even if you don't, just, just follow us on Twitter um, at activist underscore tired uh, because we're tired. Um, and we have a fun good old time there by we i mean me because i tweet using that account yeah it's fun we have good old time there please follow us we only have 36 followers or 10 followers at the moment so yeah that's 10 yeah. beautiful people and wouldn't you like to be a part of that followers. imagine yeah. 11 beautiful people that could be you that, that could be you wow yeah you could wear a blazer with us yeah you can hey. wear a blazer with shoulder pads with us Guys. and I don't um, understand. This is an incredible opportunity for you. I say seize the moment. Go for it. Today's the day. This is a brand new exclusive opportunity that you get to follow us on Twitter. <laughs> <laughs> um, and if you want to hear about like upcoming podcasts and announcements, please go follow us on the Tired Activist podcast on Instagram. We like talk. We have our release schedule there, kind of. Um, and we're kind of like, our, our schedule at the moment is kind of arbitrary because we, we're kind of busy. So sorry about that. We're just a bunch of lads trying to do a, pro- a podcast that makes no profit. Um, it it's is hard. A, it's, a it's hard, man. But it's fun. It's very fun. Again, thank you all so Enjoy much for this. watching. Uh, yes. I'm going to let Alyssa, our ending fairy, officially take, it, take over for this part. Scott Gamer is here to say goodbye. Say goodbye oh. for us, please. Gamer, for those of you who don't know, is Alyssa's cat. Uh, and he is a himbo. Yeah. <laughs> he's a rat. Are you he's a himbo. No, he's just he's a he rat. He respects women. Action. He does he doesn't respect uh, me. 
yeah, but he respects women. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for tuning in this week. We love to have you. Um, please have a fantastic day, night, week until you inevitably tune in to us again, even though it might be a little bit longer than a week now, because you just can't get enough of us. Thank you so much.